0: Right. The church said, "I also have the the secondary uh, pleasure of introducing um, our speaker today. Uh, And as you know, since the beginning of the year, we have been uh, inviting students from RTS uh, to join us, grace us with their presence, uh, speak the word of the Lord over us, um, and also give them a little bit of time in the pulpit." I don't know if Andrew needs it, but Andrew Nelson's here this morning. Uh, We're so glad to have him. Uh, He's pursuing his Master's of Divinity at RTS, born and raised in Central Florida, so I'm sure he's got lots of good stories about the humidity and cockroaches. Um, He uh, is married to his wife, Megan, and uh, they have two beautiful kids who I believe are six months and two years old. So he definitely knows something about, one, being a a new dad, and two, about not sleeping. So if you could all welcome me, uh, with me, welcome Andrew to the stage.
1: All right. Well, good morning. Coming through? Come on here. Feel good? Okay. Awesome. Sorry about that. Well, thank you guys so much for allowing me to be here. Um, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Um, I have the ability to share pictures of my beautiful family, so I want to share them real quick and introduce you to them. Um, while we're doing that, if you guys want to turn to Luke 10, we'll be looking at Luke 10: 38 through 42. Um, looking at Martha and Mary. Um, but I'll introduce you to my family real quick. Uh, we have on the left my beautiful wife, Megan. Uh, she's from Miami. We met at UCF, and on Tuesday we'll be married eight years. Um, So I know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know some of you guys in here like married 30 years, you're like, you have so much to learn and you're right. So please, please teach me. If you have wisdom for me, please share that. Uh, We have in the middle, my two and a half year old, uh, she's actually two and a half today. That's Emma. She is um, never stops, always runs around and um, teaches me a lot about sanctification and patience. And uh, on the right, we have Brody who's six months old. um, He's just adorable, always smiling and makes us smile as well. Um, And so, it's been a great time being a dad, and I still have so much to learn. But thank you guys again for having me. Um, one thing before we read the text that I want to tell you about myself: Whenever I speak, I love an audience who's engaged. Okay, so I don't know if you guys are not comfortable with this, but I would love for you guys—if you hear something that's true, if you just um, hear God's word proclaimed—I would love for you guys just practice "Amen." Like, are we are we that kind of congregation where we can say we can celebrate the truth of God in here? So whenever we go out there. We do it as well. Some of you guys are like, I I don't know about that. So we're going to practice, all right? So it doesn't have to be amen. It could be preach. It could be, yeah. It could be a holy head nod like this. I just, I need you to be engaged in some way. Um, It'll help me. It'll help you stay awake. Maybe your responsibility, amen, that's right. Maybe your responsibility is even like, hey, 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 wake up, all right? Maybe some of you guys are in a position where you need to do that. Whatever it might be, we're going to practice right here, all right? God's love for us is incredible. Okay. All right. I, I taught for six years. That was a 10 out of 10. You guys aced the first test. All right. We're going to read uh, Luke 10 and we're going to look at Martha and Mary. And um, I, my hope and prayer is that it's a story that falls fresh on us. I know it's really easy to look at scripture and say, well, I've heard that. I know that. Um, but the, the truth of scripture is that it's not that we need to know it. It's that the Holy Spirit needs to put it inside of our hearts so it comes out of us. And so my hope is that the Holy Spirit would do that for us today. Read with me. Luke 10 38 says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Pray with me. Uh, Father, I pray that today is encouraging. I pray that it just comes across as an invitation into your goodness, that you give us an invitation away from the busyness and distractions and so many things that can pull us away from what really matters. And I pray that you'd reorient our hearts on you. Teach our hearts to never get beyond the basics of sitting at your feet in prayer and meditation and soaking up scripture. Don't let us believe the lie that that busyness is what we need when we need solitude, quiet in your presence. Pray that today you would heal hearts, pray that you would encourage us, pray that you would convict us where we need conviction, and that ultimately we would see the beauty of the cross and your grace for us. Amen. Uh, You probably don't need much convincing, but the reality is if you live in America, you probably live an overly busy life. Um, if, If you ask somebody, how are you doing today? Here's the generic response. I'm good, just busy. Have you guys ever said that? or heard that from plenty of people. We're busy, we're busy. Um, The the problem is the American dream teaches the idea of white-knuckling it and doing it in self-sufficiency, right? How many of you guys love watching Shark Tank? Any fans of Shark Tank, a couple people out there? Yeah, Mr. Wonderful, Mark Cuban. Uh, Those of you guys that haven't seen it, it's a show where five millionaires or billionaires are sitting up there and people with new companies will come in, they'll pitch their business, they'll say, "We sell." wackadoodles. And our goal is to make money. Here's our business plan. They lay it all out there. And then the investors have an opportunity to invest or not invest. And the goal is that the person's telling their heart. They're sharing why they love the business so much and why it's going to succeed and what the business plan is. And what I love about the the show is that you see these entrepreneurs and how much they love it. And one of the most common stories that just always wraps me up, I mean, it usually drives them to tears and some of the judges is this story of I work on my business 24-7. I work until 2 a.m. and I just grind and I grind and I grind. I go door to door and I sell and I strive and I work. And I, this is my entire life. I put everything I have into. It. And what I find is that I watch that and I'm cheering for them like, yeah, it's the American dream. Go, 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 go do it. And they're crying and the judges are crying. It's like, yes, go for it. Strive for it. And then I, I look at that and then I, I come to the scriptures and I realize that I do the same thing a lot of times in my Christian walk. With my sanctification, I'm going to white-knuckle it. I'm going to be self-sufficient. I'm going to strive and work so hard. And I'm going to fill my life with so much busyness and try and chase after Jesus. And what I end up with at the end, whenever I'm trying to be self-sufficient, is that I miss so much beauty in the gospel. And I think that what we have today is Martha and Mary. Uh, Martha is somebody who's incredibly busy, who's trying to white-knuckle, who's trying to show what she's capable of and what she can do. And we have Mary who's simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. And my hopes are is that we think about busyness, that we think about how easy it is for us to be self-reliant, how easy it is for us to white knuckle our Christianity and just strive and work hard and just push harder. I just need to strive, 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 that we first start in the truth of the gospel and sitting at Jesus' feet. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this. Jesus welcomes the busy heart. He welcomes the busy heart. I know some of you guys walked in here I'm incredibly busy and so many things going on. But one of the first things we need to know with Martha is so many times she gets a bad rap, but what she's doing isn't wrong. She's being hospitable. Um, hospitality is one thing that's crucial throughout the entire book of Luke because it's one of the signs that the kingdom of has come to earth. I mean, the heart of hospitality is this. Come into my home. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make you part of a family. I'm going to love you. I'm going to give you everything. Don't bring anything. Come here, Your family. It's a picture of the gospel, right? Hospitality is a good thing. And Martha is inviting Jesus into her home. Hospitality is all throughout the book of Luke. Um, If you're familiar with Luke 7, there's a story of Simon the Pharisee, where the Pharisee brings Jesus into his home, but the Pharisee doesn't welcome Jesus, with anything special, he just wants to come in and learn from him. And there's a woman who comes in and cries tears at the feet of Jesus for her sins. And she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus praises her because she is the one who's hospitable in comparison to Simon the Pharisee who showed absolutely no hospitality. That story is unique to Luke. Another story that's unique to Luke is the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, right before this. We know the story where the man is naked and he's on the side of the road, half beaten, left. The priest and Levite walk right by. But who's honored? The good Samaritan who picks him up, binds his wounds, and takes him to the hotel and meets all of his needs in hospitality. After that, we see the prodigal son in Luke 15, the son who runs away from the father, who spends everything he has on sinful desires and goes, 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 and chases everything in this world. He's in the pig pen and he says, was so much better in my father's house. And every step of the way, he's practicing his speech he's gonna give of guilt. And as soon as he's on the top of the hill coming over, the father runs to him, embraces him. And what, how's that story end? Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's throw a celebration because my son has returned. It's hospitality. Luke is a critical piece, or hospitality is a critical piece in all of Luke. And Martha is situated in that. And so we need to understand that what she's doing isn't a bad thing. It's incredible. The problem is her heart was off. And I think it's a challenge to all of us that sometimes it can be easy to be so busy, or let me say it this way. I think it's easy to get so busy in trying to follow after Jesus and trying to build the kingdom that we can sometimes forget the king himself. And that's a scary place to be. Martha is doing something that is good and yet Jesus eventually calls her out. So to kind of understand the picture of what's happening, imagine this. How many of you guys, maybe flashback to Christmas or Thanksgiving, How many of you guys have cooked for a large family gathering coming over? Maybe some of you guys are like Father's Day today, like we got a party going on, lots of things going on. Understand that Jesus, whenever he comes, it's not just Jesus that Martha's inviting in. It's Jesus, his 12 disciples, Martha and Mary, probably Lazarus, and chances are more people that aren't even named here. So you're talking, you're cooking for at least 16 people, making sure they're coming in feeling welcomed. And whenever you're doing a Christmas or a Thanksgiving get-together, what kind of emotions and thoughts are you wrestling through? You're like, I hope everybody is feeling comfortable. I hope the food comes out right. Like how many of you guys are, have the timelines where you're cooking food? And you're like, the, the green beans are going to be done this way. The corn's got to be done this way. They all has to come out hot and fresh all at the same time, right? And if, if you're like me and you love smoking meat, you're always stressed out because you're like, yeah, this meat's got to cook. We got to get this done. And what happens is what starts out as hospitable come into my home, let me welcome you, let me love you, let me show you mercy and grace, turns you to absolutely frenetic, where it's not a place of hospitality, it's just a place of stress and anxiousness. And that's the scene of what we're seeing here with Martha. Something that started out as good has transferred into something that can be overwhelming. Here's how Jesus, or how the scriptures describe Martha. In verse 39, we see that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. But verse 40 starts with the word, but. It's drawing this contrast. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. We don't even see a word from Mary. She's the hero of the story. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. But Martha, what is Martha doing? She's distracted with much serving. The original language there gives this, this picture of, uh, if you have little kids and they've ever fought over a towel or a shirt or a toy and there's two or three of them and it's being pulled this way, and it's being pulled this way, and it's being pulled this way. And that item isn't in control. It's these things that are pulling them in a hundred different directions. And he uses that picture of Martha, who's worried about the food, who's worried about the guests, who's worried if everybody's getting along, who's stressed out about everything going on. She's not in control. She's being pulled and manipulated by all these things that are happening all around her. Does that sound familiar? Amen, there we go. Gold star, if we have a gold star, we need it over here, stat. We feel that, right? Like I look over my life, whenever I was in high school, I thought I was busy. I was on the wrestling team. I took an AP class here and there. I was with friends. I thought I was busy. And then I got to college. When I was in college, I started working as a youth pastor, started working as a part of a campus ministry, started living with guys I just love being with. And I thought I was busy. I graduated, got married and I started teaching full time. And then I thought I was busy. I am mean, I'm trying to figure out what new marriage looks like. I'm trying to teach as a first-year teacher teaching chemistry, feeling overwhelmed at a public high school with 150 students. I thought I was busy. And then I went to teach at another school, and then God called us to plan a church. And so I'm pastoring a church, and I'm, I'm working, and I'm teaching, and still trying to figure out marriage and what that looks like. And then God gave us a beautiful little girl, Emma, and then I thought I was busy. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter what phase of life you're in. No matter what happens, if you're not intentional about it, your time will be consumed with life. And those things will pull you in every single direction. And you will feel overwhelmed if you aren't intentional about it. It doesn't matter what phase of life you're in. With kids, kids are out of the house, just married, not married, high school, middle school. It doesn't matter. Your time will be consumed and your life will be busy without intentionality. It's natural for all of us. And Martha is feeling that right now as she's being pulled in all these directions. And what I love about scriptures is just as Jesus teaches, the words that come out of our mouth reveal the heart. And what Martha comes and says to Jesus reveals what's going on in her heart. And I think it even gives us a mirror to see the evidences of signs of being overly busy. So let's look at what Martha says. Martha is going to take things into her own hands in verse 40. She's distracted. She's being pulled in all these directions and she goes up to Jesus and Martha's about to fix the situation. You ever, in all your busyness, try to go to God and tell him how to be God? Let me just fix this. Jesus, you don't understand the situation here. Let me show you what really matters right now. Three things that she says we need to focus on. The first one, she went to him and he said, Lord, do you not care? You ever come to Jesus and just like, God, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see the to-do list? Don't you see what I'm wrestling with? Don't you see how overwhelming this is? Don't you care? And it's it's funny because we can look at this story and we can be like, Jesus is sitting in your living room who spoke creation into being, who according to Colossians 1 is holding creation together. That man, God in the flesh is sitting right here in your living room. And within a year, he will go to the cross to pay the penalty for Martha's sins. And she's asking him, do you care? And it's funny because we can look at that and say, Martha, of course, Jesus cares. But what I love about scripture is it's so easy whenever you're outside of the story to look at something and say, that's ridiculous but then you realize, oh, no, that, that's me. But we don't see it in our own lives because there's always an excuse. There's always something else that pulls us and distracts us and pulls us in all these directions. We miss the reality that we wrestle with, Jesus, don't you care? And what it's really a sign of is that we've lost sight of the beauty of the gospel and we're trying to do, 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 strive, strive, strive instead of sitting and resting. It's the first thing she says. And then she comes up to Jesus. and says, not just do you care, but here's a second concern. Do you not care that my sister has left me? What's funny about this is Martha is the one who welcomed him into the home, right? Martha is the one who set up this party and said, this is going to be a hospitality for everybody. But then she's worried about not just what she's doing, but about other people are doing. In my own life, I've seen that one of the signs that I'm striving, I'm, I'm trying to chase after Jesus, but that I'm not prioritizing my quiet time is that I'm not focused on what I'm doing. I'm focused on what other people aren't doing. It's a sign that we're busy they were overwhelmed that were trying to white knuckle this because it's not so much about Martha's heartbeat in this is not let me do what's right because I want to be righteous like the lord it's look how righteous I am compared to Mary it's a scary place to be she's doing a good thing but because she's lost sight of the beauty of who Jesus is it starts to unravel and it starts to become something that's dangerous because she's not focused on the fact that the lord is right there in her midst see Martha's problem isn't Mary Martha's problem is Martha and what's going on in her heart and what she's missed. So the third thing says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? In the end, she says, tell her then to help me. Let me just tell God how to be God. Let me tell Jesus what to do because he's just totally just missing what's happening. Man, it's crazy, isn't it? And yet I find elements of this in my life that I wrestle with and things that I say to God, things that I think, things that I wrestle with in the midst of my busyness. But what's beautiful about this is that Jesus welcomes the busy hour. He welcomes it. Like look at how Jesus responds because just, just think about Jesus for a minute and all the things that he could say back to Martha. You question my love for you. You're trying to tell me how to be God. <laughs> don't you realize what you're missing right here? Like how many of you guys would just love five minutes in the presence of Jesus in your living room to ask him questions and just sit and listen. Whatever he wants to say, I don't wanna say anything. I just wanna soak it up and embrace it. Martha doesn't realize what she has right here. And Jesus could say so many things. Don't you realize, like Jesus could say, don't you realize that I gave you the breath that you just used to question my love for you? I am keeping your heart beating right now. I knew this day would come, this moment would come before I even walked through the door. Jesus could say, don't you realize that very soon I'm going to walk the hill to the cross and give everything I have for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. Jesus could say a lot of things, but here's how he responds. In verse 41, it says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Man, you you can't see the eyes of Jesus. You can't see the tone. But I I, I just imagine Jesus diffusing the whole situation. You ever been in one of those situations where it just gets amped up and amped up and amped up and people are busy and they're anxious and you just want to rise up there. And Jesus just says, "Martha, Martha, he doesn't condemn her actions, although there's much to condemn. He doesn't call her out. He doesn't embarrass her. He welcomes her in. And that's good news for you and for me because for the busy heart, that gets so wrapped up in white knuckling it and being self-sufficient and says, I got this. I can deal with my own sanctification. I'm gonna run with this. I'm gonna go serve the Lord on my own. He welcomes that in the sense where he says, come here and let's talk about it. Let's wrestle through it together. Don't do this on your own. He welcomes the busy heart. And I think that's all good news for all of us. But it not just welcome you in. He doesn't just gently deal with us Point two is this, Jesus heals the busy heart. Like what we need, if if you're busy and you're overwhelmed and your to-do list just crushing you, what you need is healing. What you need is a heart transfer. Let's return to the significance of what Jesus says. He says, Martha, Martha. That's a pretty common uh, structure that he uses all throughout scripture whenever God talks to people and he's about to radically transform their lives. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down Genesis 22 verses 11 through 13. Um, you're probably familiar with the story if you've grown up in church where Abraham has been called by God to go sacrifice Isaac. And he goes up on the hill and he's being faithful to God. He says, okay, God, I don't understand, but I'm gonna do it because I have faith that you're going to provide. And he goes up on the mountain. He's about to go through with it. And here's the words that God tells Abram: Abraham, Abraham. Abraham a gentle invitation. What is he about to do? He's about to radically transform Abraham's life in a miraculous way, because he's going to show Abraham that he will provide the sacrifice. There's no sacrifice that Abraham can give that will please. Just like Martha, Martha, God says, Abraham, Abraham. Exodus three, very similar format where Moses is out tending the sheep. He's run away from Egypt. He's an outcast. He doesn't want to go back. He's already killed an Egyptian. He's on the run. He sees the burning bush. And how does God address him? Moses. Moses. He's about to radically transform his life, radically transform his heart. And the last one that's probably most familiar is in Acts 9, where Saul is on the way, describes him as somebody who is um, breathing out insults among the people of God. All that his goal is to kill people who are following Jesus, to purify the church. He's zealous. He wants to do and serve and honor God. And on the road to Damascus, a bright light shines down. What are the first words God says? Saul, Saul. why are you persecuted? It's this format of what he still says here to Martha. What's, what happens over and over in scripture is this idea. He's calling the name. He's inviting them in. And he says, I'm about to radically transform your life. And I think the words that he has for Martha are along the same lines. Here's what Jesus identifies Martha's problem as. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Anybody else say, Andrew, Andrew, that is true about me, right? You insert your name. I'm anxious and troubled about many things, many things. And Jesus welcomes her in. And he, and what's so beautiful about this is that Jesus consistently identifies the heart problem over and over and over again. Like how many times does the Bible talk about our sin? Like how many of you guys ever, if you go through the Bible and you read it in a year and you get to those like Leviticus parts or Exodus, it's like, man, this is just, or you go to the prophets. You're just like, man, this is grimy. It's ugly. It's dealing with sin. I just ah, I'm wrestling with it. I need something that like, give me the gospel. Give me something encouraging. And you you flip to Matthew. It's like, okay, I know Matthew. Okay, let me wrestle with that. The the Bible talks about how ugly our sin is because it is ugly. But what's so incredible about Christ is he calls truth, truth and says, here's your sin, here's your problem. He says, here's the solution. He doesn't leave Martha and says, well, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Go figure that out on your own. Because on our own, that would be our solution, Right. I'm anxious. I'm troubled. I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to wrestle through it. What he does is he says in verse 42, but one thing There's one thing that matters. If I gave you a piece of paper right now, you could probably write down a list of things that are troubling your heart, weighing you down, causing frustration, causing anxiousness. And Jesus doesn't directly list all of what Martha's wrestling with, but he says, you're troubled about many things, but he says, there's one thing that is necessary. And what is that? Jesus offers Martha the only thing that she truly needs, and that's himself. If it's inside the entire story of Luke 10 and, and the point that Luke is trying to make, uh, if you have the scriptures open, look at Luke 10 at the beginning. Uh, the heading there will say, Jesus sends out the 72. The chapter starts out where Jesus is sending out 72 disciples in pairs. So 36 different teams are going all over the, the countryside, and they're sharing the fact that the good news is coming. The kingdom is arriving. They're preaching. And as you read through what Jesus is saying and uh, what they're going to experience, it says that you're going to heal the sick. You're going to see demons cast out. You're going to see incredible things happen as God's power works through you. Could you imagine being a part of that? Just like how incredible it'd be to see God move in such an incredible way. And then in verse 17, the 72 people return. Like just imagine the stories. Like I love reading scripture and thinking about what it's going to be like in heaven to sit with people who are like this or sit with David and sit with different biblical heroes be like, man, tell me that story again. So they have all these stories. They're amped up. They're excited. Here's what it says in verse 17. The 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Like we cast out demons. We saw God move in an incredible way. And here's what Jesus says to them in verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Okay, God, let's go, man. Let's build this kingdom. Let's run. Let's do this. Let's run, right? But here's what Jesus focuses them on. Because I think one thing that really causes a lot of stress in our life is that we forget what God's done in the past and we struggle with hope for the future. Like we forget that the things that God has brought us through in the past was by his power and his strength. And then whenever we face another trial and thing that'll cause us anxiousness and frustration, we think that everything that happened in the past is because we did it. So now that we're here in this problem, we gotta do it again we gotta bootstrap it up. And Jesus is protecting them from that because he says, I did incredible things through you. But in verse 20, what does he tell them? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You saw God move in incredible ways. You saw the kingdom advance. You saw things that today are just like, wow, I, could, I would love to see that. But if they place their hope in, in what they can do, forget it. It's gonna be too much of a burden. But if they place their hope in the fact that they belong to the Lord and their names are written in heaven, that's something that can't be taken from them. You see the, that pattern show up all throughout scripture. Um, you go to David and Goliath, a well-known story. Whenever David comes and he sees Goliath, and Saul is sitting there, the tallest in the nation. He's supposed to go fight Goliath and he's quivering in his boots. He refuses to go out and fight. God's given him plenty of victories, but now he's against Goliath. No way. I'm not going to do it. And then David comes up. And why does David have confidence that he can go fight Goliath? Why is he not anxious? Why is he not troubled? Why is he not fearful? He tells him, he says, I was guarding my sheep. And if a bear came, I killed the bear with the power of God. If a lion came, I would kill the lion by the power of God. Goliath who stands before me is just another one who will fall by the power of God. Why is he not anxious? Why is he not stressed? Why is he not frustrated in this moment? Even though Goliath is right there, he says, God did all these things. It's the same God who will fight this battle as well. And what he's saying here in chapter 10 at the beginning is God is pointing him back. He says, I'm the one who does it. And I think that would kill so much of our stress and anxiety if we just believe the truth that we don't fight our battles, we can rest in the power of God. But then chapter 10 continues on, it's the same point again with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, We are all familiar with the story of the man who's on the side, beaten, worn down, left for dead. And two men come, there's a priest and there's a Levite, the modern day pastors. Surely they'll stop and help the man. Gotta go, I got work in the temple, I don't have time for this. They're so busy with what they're doing for the temple and what they're doing for God, they totally miss an opportunity to be the hands and feet of God. But who's the one who's praised in the Good Samaritan story? It's the Good Samaritan. The one who is an enemy of Israel, the Samaritan, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? No, no, he knows the heart of God is to be the hands and feet, to bind up his wombs, to pick him up, to take him to the hotel and to meet all of his needs. What is the argument throughout all of Luke chapter 10? Is that, You can be stressed and worry about many things, but there is one thing that is necessary, and that's Jesus Christ and trusting in Him. With the 72, with the Good Samaritan, what matters is having the Lord. Um, One thing that I I look at and I see the Good Samaritan is I see the priest and Levite who are on their way to go, who are busy and in a rush. Um, If you're taking notes and you struggle with busyness and hurry, I'd love for you to write down the name of this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Um, an amazing book. And the whole premise is this. He says, in discipleship, the one goal is that you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The priest and Levite, they are in a hurry. They don't have time to check on the man who's dying because I gotta go work in the temple. The book, it kind of unravels this idea that, um, so here's an example. How many of you guys are loving whenever you're in a rush? Like even this morning, getting to church and you're running late, you guys would never struggle with that, right? Get in the car right now. We got to go. No, no, not this church. Not this church, right? How many of you guys are ever at work and you have a to-do list this big and somebody's trying to pour out their heart? You're like, okay, I'll catch up with you. I got to go do this task. Yeah? We're in a rush. We're hurried. We're busy. How many of you guys have work to do if you work from home and your kids are there and they got a problem? And you're like, hey, sorry, I'm on the clock, right? Maybe those are ridiculous examples, but constantly we're in a rush. We're in a hurry. And what the ruthless elimination of hurry pointed out to me is whenever it talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, what's the very first characteristic of love? Love is patient. Love is patient. It slows down. We need to slow down. We need to be more like Mary. So Jesus welcomes the busy heart. welcomes it in and he heals the heart by giving this solution in verse 42 he says but one thing is necessary what is that one thing is Jesus Christ and sitting at his feet and here's some of the best news of all in point three something that we all desperately need Jesus offers rest to the busy heart he doesn't just heal your heart because the reality is that what we're talking about today isn't like okay today I'm going to fix this I'm never going to struggle with this again It's going to be something that comes up over and over and over again as the do list grows and as the activities grow, as the kids get older and they're in soccer and all all the things that are happening. But the hope is that Jesus offers rest to the busy heart. Here's what he ends with in verse 42. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Everything that Martha is striving for, everything that Martha is working for can be taken like that. Um, Those of you who have hosted big family events, and you've worked so hard, you've cooked overnight, you've had people over, you wanna make it a hospitable place, and then the kids are fighting. Doesn't that just like ruin the whole moment and the vibe? You're like, man, I've worked so hard, just, just straighten up, we're gonna be perfect, man. Anybody ever have that? How many of you guys have ever strived and fought for something so hard, and then one thing just takes it all away from you? So many things that we're anxious about, so many things that we're stressed out about are on this shaky ground. And no matter how hard we hold on tight to it, it could all fall apart. And what Martha's working for is she's trying to be perfect for Jesus. And she totally forgets that Jesus is the one who is perfect. And she's trying to white knuckle and strive so hard. And she wonders why she's anxious and why she's frustrated. Mary, Mary never says a word in the entire story, but she's the hero. Why? Because she chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is saying there's one thing she has that'll never be taken from her. And that's Jesus Christ, her Savior. And I think that's hope for all of us. And what I would argue is that whenever it comes to activity, and, and our sanctification and the to-do list and the busyness of everything that's happening in life. If we will start from the reality that we belong to Christ and that'll never be taken from us, that'll empower everything. And I would argue, apart from that, you'll never find rest. How many of you guys, it's summer, how many of you guys are gonna go on vacation? Any vacations coming up? couple, okay. How many of you guys have been on a vacation in the past? You go away for a week, no work. You're, maybe you're with the kids, maybe you're not. And you come back after that week of no work and you walk in the door, you're just like, I'm tired. Why? You just had a week of vacation. Why are you exhausted? Because rest isn't just physical stuff. There's still something in our heart that keeps moving. There's still something in our heart that keeps us active. There's still something in our heart that needs answers and needs to be calmed and rested. And what busyness does for us is it squelches that and it pushes it down. It keeps us active doing things, not wrestling with what's deep in our hearts. And we can't find rest. But if we start with the reality that what Mary has is what we can have and it can't be taken away from us. And then we push forward with that reality. Everything else is secondary. Well, what if this goes wrong? I got Jesus. What if that falls apart? I got Jesus. What if this thing that you really love that you're striving for is gone? I got Jesus and it won't be taken. Like just think about the last week of Jesus's life. Jesus is, um, he goes and he's in the upper room and he washes the disciples' feet, washes Jesus's feet as well. And then he goes knowing that Jews are gonna betray him. He goes out to the garden to pray. Jesus comes up and kisses him and he goes silently to the courts and nobody can find anything wrong with Jesus. They can't find anybody to lie about him. And he sits there silently as he's about to be sentenced to death. Jesus goes to the cross. He hangs, he takes the beatings for, the, for our sins. He dies. Three days later, he rises again. And we place our faith in that. But here's the question what part of that story did you uphold? What part of that story did you carry the weight of? It was Jesus Christ who did it. it was Jesus Christ who carried the weight. And the, the hope and the reality that we have is the fact that Jesus is our hope and that we receive it simply by grace. I wanna end here real quick in John 12, because I think that a lot of times um, in a sermon like this, it can be really easy to say, okay, well, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. I'm just gonna focus on my quiet time and I'm going to turn into a monk. And I'm just going to sit here and, and pray. And their holy way is to just sit at the feet of Jesus. I want to see um, what happens with Mary in John 12, verses 1 through 3. John 12, 1 says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Isn't that awesome? You still see people's characteristics come through. Martha served, and Lazarus was the one who was reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What I want to put before you is that in the first story we read, Mary sat there and never said a word, but she was honored and praised because she sat at the feet of Jesus. In this story, down the road, as Jesus is about to go to the cross, we see Mary give what commentators would say is probably a year's worth of salary, perfume, and placing at the feet of Jesus it's not that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just sat there and stayed. It's that Martha switched activity and sitting at the feet of Jesus so that she tried to fight and earn God's love and worked from that. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and said, I want you to be my teacher. I want to follow in your footsteps. And from that, and from the love that she had from Jesus, that powered all of her work. And if that's the reality, and if that's what we'll do, we can guard ourselves against anxiousness and frustration because it says, Whatever happens, happens, I've got the Lord. And that's the hope of the people of God. And that's what I think Martha and Mary would teach us. And my hope and prayer is that that's what would empower our service to the Lord in all of our busyness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that um, you would give peace to hearts that are busy, peace to hearts that are try to be self-sufficient. I pray that you would point out to ways that we've tried to do this on our own. And I pray ultimately that you would draw us in that you would, we would see the tenderness you treated Mary with, just pull Martha pulling us in saying, "Man, you've got a lot on your mind. You got a lot on your heart. You're wrestling with a lot, but you don't have to carry that alone. Father, I pray that you would do the same for us, that we would find true rest in you. It's not in a lack of activity. It's not in just simply stopping. It's being filled with the gospel and the reality that you love us. And by faith, we can receive that nothing and take that away from us. Pray that your cross would empower our service that we'd work from a place that we already loved, and that we wouldn't work for your love, but we'd work from you. Amen.